0: I am your host, Doc Chad Matthews, lordsofpain.net. Wherever you may be listening, Doc says, Doc says... This is just what the doc ordered, I'm saying welcome, they sick of the other shows, Chad here to help them, the author of the Mania Era is bringing terror on L.O.P. Radio, this is to prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase, like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight, he wrote a few books and he's working on another for y'all, this a five star podcast, Chad let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania Era, the book of sports entertainment and of the doctor's orders on lordsofpain.net doc says says. says. hello and welcome to the doc says on LOP radio I am your host the doc Chad Matthews author of the Wrestlemania era book series and of the doctor's orders on lordsofpain.net wherever you may be listening thank you for making me a part of your day always appreciated no lie Wrestlemania is just around the corner now we are fast approaching the biggest show of the year and one of the top matches on the card, obviously, is Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship. And it's a match that, as a big Seth Rollins fan, I'm looking forward to. It's one of those matches that it's rare, obviously, in this day and age for us all to be able to unify in our ability to get on um, get on the same page about someone's journey. So, you know, for each of us individually, we have those those Matches and moments that resonate with us most. But you know Seth Rollins, for me, it's going to be easy for me to get sucked into the fiction. It's going to be easy for me to put aside the analytical hat, especially on the very first viewing that night, and just watch because I'm going to be rooting for Rollins to get the job done, to take the championship off of Brock Lesnar, to rescue the universal title, to get Raw back on track as it moves forward into its future in 2019 and beyond, and, you know, Universal Championship's been a a real source of controversy here on this podcast, and I would love to see Seth Rollins take hold of it, take control of it, and be the focal point of its destiny as we move into the the post-Lesnar Universal Championship era. But I'm also thinking of it, from the perspective, speaking of Lesnar versus Rollins, of what it's going to mean for Seth Rollins and his legacy. Because Seth Rollins has been around for a little while. And that's the first thing that I really want to focus on on today's podcast is Seth Rollins and the legacy that he's putting together in his career. Because he's been around for a while. You know, this is his fifth year as a single star. And there's a, there's really only one single star across the last five years among the contemporary generation in WWE lore that can compare, that's anywhere close to him in terms of overall achievements, and that's Roman Reigns. But I think Seth Rollins, I've, I've kind of always been of the opinion that if you take away the the main events that Roman has had at WrestleMania, then Seth Rollins easily defeats him in any and all conversations about who the top star of this era is, but those WrestleMania main events, they loom large and they carry a lot of weight, especially in my book. And in my books, they have carried a lot of weight, speaking literally and figuratively there. So Rollins at WrestleMania, for instance, I think he's someone who, when you combine, when you're talking about legacy, you're talking about what's he accomplished from a kayfabe standpoint. What's he accomplished in terms of uh, the performance that he's put on? And to me, Seth Rollins, in both instances, we're talking about since the singles career began in 2014 and he got to that first WrestleMania in 2015 in in San Francisco, he has had a mid-card classic match with Randy Orton. He has had, then of course... The, the main event of that evening ended with him cashing in Money in the Bank, what I think now becomes, in hindsight, even including the very first cash-in of Money in the Bank by Edge in 2006, I think that easily Seth Rollins and his cash-in at WrestleMania 31 is the most historic in the history of Money in the Bank, and that's a near 15-year history granted, so it's it's got a legacy, a legacy all its own and Seth Rollins is at the top of it. WrestleMania 33 coming back from the injury suffered ahead of WrestleMania 32 that prevented him from having what was, in many ways, probably going to be, in part, his WrestleMania. It would have made a lot of sense for Seth Rollins to carry the championship into WrestleMania. Uh, Maybe they end up doing the Triple H match a year early. Maybe not, but... That was a big WrestleMania for Rollins because he'd carried the company for about 18 months leading up to him blowing out his knee in late 2015. So you come back and you have that match in Orlando with Triple H, and, you know, I know there's been a lot of people who have had some some negative things to say about it. Negative in the sense not that anyone really has said flat out that that was a bad match, but negative in the sense that it's not given its due for being an incredible match. I want to talk about that again in just a second but you focus on what he, at least he achieved if even if you don't agree that the performance was monumental the achievement of defeating Triple H in the longest match on that night and probably the most hyped match on that card in terms of the the depth of the story leading into it I mean the storyline no matter your opinion on the quality of that either did begin the previous August, and obviously had carried through many, many years due to their on-screen relationship. So, beating Triple H in that environment, spotlight featured match at WrestleMania, that's a big deal. Last year, wins the Intercontinental Championship, completes his Grand Slam, and in doing so, has an excellent opener with Finn Balor and The Miz. So, Seth Rollins... He's only been a single star for three WrestleManias that he got to take part in, and all three of those matches were very significant, add in the fourth in which he cashed in Money in the Bank. The guy's got quite a legacy amongst his contemporary generation at WrestleMania alone. I think the only person who comes anywhere near him, and of course she has got her opportunity to further her legacy at WrestleMania this year as well, and that's Charlotte Flair. Overall, I just think Seth Rollins has had a heck of a career so far i mean to be 5 years into his singles run he's always mattered he's always been relevant he's always been reasonably well booked which is very very difficult to say of any peer including roman reigns including charlotte flair during his peak years so this is an opportunity yet again on on when we when we get to wrestlemania to see him face brock lesnar You're expecting a certain kind of match out of that, but I'm expecting it to be a big-time legacy enhancer and the kind that takes what I've said thus far in this podcast and and helps it stick in the minds of the, the many, many pundits and fans out there who may be questioned to what degree, historically, do we rate Seth Rollins at this point. If he goes out there and has the best match that Brock Lesnar has had in a long time, I mean, and I think the standard... Brock Lesnar match since he came back to the company years ago was the CM Punk match at SummerSlam 2013. It's tough to expect anything that approaches that level because it's been so long since we've seen him have anything quite on that level. But if the Roman Reigns match at WrestleMania 31 is the current Brock standard, and I would say that it is, I mean, that was a very, very compelling performance, one that was well on its way to being a classic without the addition. Of Seth Rollins, then Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar absolutely can top that. Uh, it's going to top the matches with Styles and Bryan, I believe. And I think that if it does, and if it does so in a way that really appeals to the masses, in the, in the sense that, I mean, it's going to need to get the kind of crowd reaction necessary to achieve that peak level of critical acclaim. If it does that, then I think Seth Rollins, we're going to start having a different kind of conversation about this guy, because not only will he be universal champion, not not only will he have slayed the beast, but he will have done so at the peak part of what's become a, a heck of a career. So the the WrestleMania legacy of Seth Rollins is one of the things that I think is on the line. There's been a lot of crap main events in, in recent WrestleMania history. Roman Reigns has been a contemporary of Seths that's just flat out not been able to get it done since that first year that he got to the that he got to that level in 2015 and we need somebody to step up and and remind not just fans at large but I think the company too that this is the guy who needs to be in that spot the he is at least the type of guy who needs to be in that spot because he can get it done and he can make it happen when all the marbles are on the table the last thing you want if you're WWE, is yet another year in which the guy who you're supposed to be cheering is getting booed mercilessly, mercifully out of the building. I mean, mercilessly out of the building. It was. It's been crazy to watch that in recent years with Roman Reigns, and I've not liked it at all as a fan. As a as an analyst, I think it sucks. As a fan, I just it takes you out of it. It's just it's just awful. So, uh, Seth Rollins has had the mid card classic with Randy Orton. He's had the big moment with the WrestleMania Money in the Bank cash-in. He's had the, the, the great opening matchup, the classic sort of mid-card style, frantic pace with all sorts of content and moves. You know, I've always said the Randy Orton match, frankly, was kind of a, a main event match wrestled in 13 minutes because of the it had sort of an epic feel to it. It was one of the best-built matches on that show. I love that match. And then if you couple that with the opener last year with Balor and and Miz, I mean, he's got those two matches that really are fantastic performances that probably ought to get a lot of higher-end love than they do. And then you've got the Triple H match, which really tells a tremendous story. I, I would encourage anybody who hasn't. I've been preaching to a lot. I mean, I guess it's probably become pretty preachy at this point, but I I really do believe that if you haven't gone and watched it again, then I think you're doing yourself a disservice because that match really is that good. It really is. It tells a a really great story, and storytelling is something that's at a bit of a premium right now because the fast-paced athletic matches We've seen a lot of that in this last half decade, but we've not seen a lot of truly engaging stories told in the ring. The kind of meaty type things that you can go back to and watch over and over again. I think a lot of fans and I get this and I appreciate it, I mean they, they kind of tend tend to critically think of wrestling matches if we looked at it like the movies, like the Fast and Furious franchise. You know, which has a lot of actually very good acting in it. There's a lot of good character work within it. But its basic premise is, you know, we're going to throw out cars. We're going to throw out all this, you know, high-octane action. And it's going to be very visually appealing and aesthetically engaging in very obvious ways. So the subtle stuff comes in on top of that. And you end up with what's a pretty damn good movie franchise. I mean, and that's made a ton of money. And, and pro wrestling's really about that in a lot of ways. But I love when you get a story in pro wrestling that's on that level of Seth Rollins and Triple H, which if you watch it, again, I promise you, if you, if you listen to these words, it flows incredibly well. It starts out exactly like you would want a vicious fight to start. And it just, it, the story is so much about Seth Rollins and his knee and his willingness to put everything on the line to, to get back who he lost when he gave in and bought in to what Triple H sold him back in 2014. So there's a great redemption story there. And when you watch that play out, the flow of that match is so incredibly, incredibly engaging to me. And it never gets old because it really there's not really a down moment. The knee is so well sold on Rollins' end that it's hard not to really connect with what he's trying to do. And that, first and foremost, is what I would expect you to find if you went back and you watched it disengaged from the classic sort of star rating mindset that tells you that a crowd that's dead means the match is bad. And the crowd's exhausted, that's true, but the crowd being exhausted is not a reflection on Triple H and Seth Rollins. Maybe it is somewhat a reflection of the fact that 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 audience and the audience at large Maybe they just weren't real into the Seth Rollins character as a babyface yet, but that doesn't detract from the story that they told on that night, nor does it detract from what it meant to the overarching Seth Rollins story now that we're seeing culminate in this match with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 35. So, you know, really the whole Seth Rollins library at WrestleMania is really worth a rewatch. I would encourage you to do that. You Obviously, you got the two barn burners. You've got the classic moment. And I think you've got a classic story there, too. So the Seth Rollins library is not only very, uh, very, very um, historically relevant in terms of what he's accomplished, but it's also very diverse in its performance. So very much something to look forward to, to me, is the conversation that may come out of the Seth Rollins-Brock Lesnar match about how it may have enhanced Seth's legacy. That's certainly what I'm hoping for. I hope it's the type of thing that may put everything that I've said again into greater perspective and, and be the exclamation point on what's really been a hell of a half decade for Seth Rollins and the legacy that he's forging at, at WrestleMania and beyond. As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of color? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's Flexible Home Improvement Loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard. Dock trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. So while we are on the topic of legacy at WrestleMania, I thought what a good, fun thing to do might be is to just choose somebody from WrestleMania lore who really made a name for themselves and explore their WrestleMania career. I originally had intended to do that with the the top member of the Hall of Fame 2019 class, but... um, You know, it just didn't materialize into what I thought it was going to be. I thought it might be Undertaker or someone like that, which would make it extra fun. So in going back and reviewing a couple of the matches at WrestleMania that I'm always most fond of watching at this time of the year, one of the names that kept popping up was Edge. And Edge, for those of you who are new to this podcast is probably my second favorite wrestler of all time at this point. Shawn Michaels is number one. For the longest time, I had Bret Hart at number two. But, uh, you know, I think as hindsight has caught up with me throughout this decade, I look back and I think, you know, Edge was really my favorite wrestler of the contemporary generation during probably the height of my pro wrestling fandom. Before marriage, before kids, Before the career, there was college, and there was a whole hell of a lot of wrestling and a lot of wrestling columns written and a lot of wrestling forums posts made by yours truly. I had a lot of time to dedicate to it, and I dedicated a ton of time to the career of Edge and my investment in what he was able to achieve. So I'm looking across his career at WrestleMania. He makes his WrestleMania debut At WrestleMania 2000, you know, got a pair of ladder matches those first two years. He's got the match with Booker T. After that, has to take two WrestleManias off during the athletic prime of his career. Comes back, though, wins Money in the Bank, faces Foley, is involved in a very underrated Money in the Bank ladder match because he was injured. He had, I believe, broken his jaw but still worked WrestleMania as one of the featured stars of WrestleMania 23's Money in the Bank ladder match, Curtain Jerker. The following year, he's in the main event, which begins a run of four straight years, where he's competing for the World Heavyweight Championship, defending in the main event against Undertaker, followed by a triple threat also involving John Cena and Big Show. Then he is up against Chris Jericho as the Royal Rumble winner and his very last televised match ever. I think it was actually his definitive last match ever, defends the world heavyweight title against El Rio in the opener at WrestleMania 27. And if you look across his career, can you think of anybody who's got a um, a more underrated WrestleMania resume for somebody of the upper tier stature? I mean, you think when WrestleMania comes to mind, you, you immediately go to the guys like Undertaker and Shawn Michaels And, you know, earlier in the day, back in the WrestleMania era, Hulk Hogan, you think about The Rock, I think there will be some people out there that will think about John Cena someday, as much as it may pay pain some to hear. I think John Cena's got a nice resume having been at the top for so many WrestleManias and during a very important stretch in WrestleMania lore where it kind of grew up to what we know it as today. Big stadium shows, Week-long festival, etc. John Cena was at the helm for a lot of that, so he's kind of the the Hulk Hogan of his era in a way. So there are a lot of guys whose names come to mind when you think of WrestleMania. You of course think of Macho Man Randy Savage. You think of Bret Hart. You think of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Edge is not one of those names that comes immediately to mind, I think, or such is the general sort of sense that I get from wrestling fans at large, and the diehard community. But much like what I wrote about in my first book, when I broke down the greatest 90 wrestlers of the WrestleMania era, when I got to Edge, I listed his resume, and then I basically asked the question, how is this guy not remembered in greater historical stature than he has been? Because, And I think my comparison point was that he's like the St. Louis Cardinals in Major League Baseball. He's got an incredible history, He's just the length of his career, what he accomplished during it, the statistics that he racked up, so to speak, they are incredible. He's one of the great quote-unquote franchise players in WWE lore, but he doesn't really get treated like one, I don't think. And if you look at his WrestleMania resume and you compare him to some of these other guys, one of the things that really stood out to me was how no matter where he was put on the WrestleMania card, <coughs> excuse me, he managed to deliver what was asked of him. He played a lot of roles in WrestleMania lore. He was in tag team matches. He was in a lot of ladder matches. One of my favorite examples of what he brought to the table was the, actually the match against Booker T in Toronto because that wasn't a lengthy match. But Edge had really come into his own as a single star in the latter part of 2001. He wasn't a huge, burgeoning single star, but he was a very solid, sort of moving upward kind of young guy, breaking out of the tag team ranks and trying to find himself. So he gets this match with Booker T, and the match is only about six, seven minutes long. And like a lot of matches on that show, from DDP Christian to Kurt Angle versus Kane, to the opener between William Regal and RVD, Edge went out there with Booker T and delivered one of those kinds of matches that helps make a show. You know, not every single wrestling card can be full, especially WrestleMania, since it's four to seven hours long. Um, You can't have just a whole bunch of epics across the card. It just, you have to have these kinds of matches between two guys with, you know, good reputations, big stars, but maybe not tippy-top stars, who get put in these mid-card scenarios, and they just go out and they have a good match that adds something to the show. Would you look back on it and you say, maybe that wasn't one of the most memorable moments of that card, but it was the type of thing that I will look back on and say, you know what, that was a nice addition to the overall presentation of this particular WrestleMania you know, you kind of miss matches like that. They they talk about on the right side of the pond on LOP Radio all the time about how WrestleMania needs these short, little, compact performances from upper echelon talents. We don't have that anymore. Now, Edge was also a part of a match that helped usher that out with the rise of the Money in the Bank ladder match, giving an excuse to be to, to give a high-profile spot to a bunch of mid-card or lower-tier main event guys, without actually having to write them a story for WrestleMania. And obviously, as it says in the sign, you'll never be able to forget it, even if you didn't actually watch the television back then. But yes, Edge and Booker T were fighting over Shampoo. But what a nice little match fought over Shampoo. They maximized their minutes, and they had a solid little performance. And when you talk about maximizing minutes, that's another thing that I think Edge always did. Every single match that Edge was involved in maximized its minutes. You're not going to find somebody in WrestleMania history amongst the top guys who were prominently featured at five or more of them. Who can say that? Not even Shawn Michaels with his sterling reputation at WrestleMania. I look back at the match he had with John Cena at WrestleMania 23, and I don't think there's any question that it was a great match. I personally think that it reflects as an outstanding match because of the way that it was wrestled basically lended itself to being rewatchable down the road. But there are a lot of people who felt like it was too long, that it asked something of its other half and John Cena that that other half wasn't yet ready to give. I don't agree with that necessarily, but I think that there is a sentiment out there about it, about matches against Undertaker going very long, and maybe not maximizing fully the use of the minutes that they were given, 30-plus minutes and things of that nature. But Edge doesn't have a match like that. Edge does not have a match that if it went long, that it didn't maximize what it could be, that if it went short, that it also didn't maximize what it could be. His role against Mick Foley at WrestleMania 22 is always one that generally comes to mind on that front, because... They were given about 14 to 15 minutes. They had a, a fairly little flimsy storyline behind it, but, I mean, it really wasn't about what happened on TV. When it was Edge and Foley, it was the greatest hardcore superstar that the WWE and perhaps pro wrestling had ever seen in Mick Foley going up a guy against a guy who basically pioneered the stunt brawl ladder match and was the glue that held it together looking back at the TLC days. Hardcore, by its very nature, was included as part of the aura of those tables, ladders, and chairs matches and other matches like them. Edge was a legend of that genre of wrestling, too. Putting their names on a marquee, giving them 15 minutes with no rules, was certainly something to get excited about on paper alone. Edge came into that match, though, with a chip on his shoulder, and I think that's always... Whether he had a chip on his shoulder to prove that he should be in a higher spot, like perhaps he did in those TLC matches at back-to-back WrestleManias, or like he did against Foley in Chicago at WrestleMania 22. That chip on his shoulder to get to the next level, or just an appreciation for the spot that he was in and wanting to live up to the standard of what being in a world title match at WrestleMania meant, or particularly the main event. You go and you watch back the match that he had against Foley, and you can see in his eyes how much he wants to steal the show and how much he's willing to do anything to prove that come the next WrestleMania or two, he belongs in the main event. He belongs in the first of many consecutive world championship matches at the biggest show of the year. He had earned that spot by the time he drove Mick Foley through that flaming table, and one of the greatest climactic endings to any match In the history of pro wrestling, it's just so eye-popping. It's awesome. And they put their bodies through hell. But the main thing that I take away from that performance in my most recent rewatch a couple of days ago was, man, Edge and Foley really maximized what they could do with the time that they were given. I think that the TLC matches are a big part of this guy's legacy. And unfortunately, he's got to share a lot of that credit. And really, maybe not even share, but give a lot of that credit to the likes of Jeff Hardy and the Dudleys, guys that took these incredible bumps through these stacks of tables. Edge was, as I believe my colleague on the right side of the pond, Maverick, noted, Edge was perhaps the glue that held those matches together along with Christian. They weren't the guys that were taking the absolutely insane bumps, but if you replace them with someone else, those matches clearly would not have been the same, you know. Edge, as John Cena once referred to him as, was kind of like an Einstein of putting together a pro wrestling match, and accordingly, his role in the Tables, Ladders, and Chairs series uh, was is not to be understated, it's certainly not as a part of his legacy. The Money in the Bank ladder match at 21, obviously he's the first winner, but if you add that to his TLC resume from those other two WrestleManias in tag team action, Edge is pretty much one of... The is pretty much involved in every single crazy stunt brawl type match that has a great reputation at WrestleMania. I mean, there have been a lot of stunt brawls at WrestleMania, thanks to the Money in the Bank genre. None has ever, has ever really topped the original, in my opinion. Maybe one, the contract ladder match at, at Money in the Bank 14. Maybe that one. Is in its league because of the story it added with Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, but you know Edge, Christian, Kane, Shelton, Benjamin, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit—that first six, that first six band group that brought Money in the Bank to reality—is in and of itself. It's a legendary ladder match at WrestleMania, and outside of the Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon one at WrestleMania 10, those are the four. Pillar ladder matches and WrestleMania lore, and Edge is involved in three of them. So, I mean, another huge part of that guy's legacy. Later on, and we'll get to the main event in a second because I love it and I want to talk about it to close the show, but later on when he's facing Del Rio and Edge or and, and Chris Jericho, I mean, when you look at the Chris Jericho match, I certainly had much higher expectations going in. But when I looked at what they actually were given the chance to do, they had to follow the Bret Hart-Vince McMahon debacle. And not only that, but they really weren't given time to have a classic. I've seen some people rate that match as high as four stars. I personally thought it was very good. I wouldn't give it that four-star rating. But again, at at just in the ballpark of 16 minutes of bell-to-bell time, and given what they ended up basically structuring that card to do, which is... Build momentum up to the Shawn Michaels Undertaker match that would be given kind of carte blanche to go out there and do everything that they might want to do. Nobody else got the chance on the night to do that. So I've always thought that the Edge and Jericho match was actually exactly what it was intended to be on its card. Sure, my expectations were higher. My expectations were higher for that than Shawn Michaels Taker 2 at times during the build up. To WrestleMania because I was so excited to see what they could do on that stage. I watched it back in preparation for this discussion, and I found it to be very satisfying. Just a very good performance from two consummate pros, not given the chance to steal the show. Pretty much felt like they were asked not to, but quite frankly, they still went out and they had a match that some consider great and that most consider very good, Yeah, the Del Rio match, of course, as well. That ended Edge's career, proved to be his final match. I was there live in the crowd at Atlanta, and Edge being, you know, one of my few favorite wrestlers of all time, it was uh, looking back on it it was a real pleasure to see that final match. And yes, it was an opening match for the World Heavyweight Championship, and they probably could have done a lot more with the presentation than they did for that match, given that the world title was involved and that Edge was involved but there's no questioning that that match was quite good i mean that's the kind of match that again helps make a wrestlemania better it was not going to steal the show it was not given the opportunity to but at roughly 12 13 minutes in length i think you would be hard pressed to try to argue that it didn't maximize what it could be del rio and edge had good chemistry they they really had a nice opening match that holds up well against peers in that vaunted opening match at WrestleMania category. So I look back fondly on that final performance and again look at it as a match that proved that whenever given an opportunity, no matter where it was on a WrestleMania card, Edge was going to try to make the most of it. And I've always felt point blank that he made the most of his main event opportunity against The Undertaker. I was there live for that too, so that's certainly part of what has sprung edge to the top of my list of WrestleMania favorites and all-time WrestleMania-era favorites is I got to see a lot of his moments at WrestleMania. I got to see the match with Foley live. I got to see the match with Taker live, and I got to see his final match live. But the match with Taker always will be a match that I look back at extremely fondly as one of my favorite memories. Having followed his career in 2002 is really when he caught on for me personally. I was watching his matches with Kurt Angle during the spring that year, blown away by both of them as I was really just starting to get back into the WWE product. And for him to go from this guy who I was like, man, I really like this guy's athletic matches, I think he's a lot of fun to watch. He reminds me of a Shawn michaels Bret Hart kind of hybrid. So I, I really liked what he did and really felt compelled to follow his career as it got to that main event level. And when he got to that main event spot against Undertaker, I've—I've, I've, as cheesy as this may sound, I've not really had many prouder moments as a wrestling fan. You know, I felt like I kind of grew up with Edge. And when he reached that pinnacle moment, After all those years of kind of fighting and clawing for for it from all the way down in the tag team ranks to springing up and actually helping make tag team wrestling a thing in the latter half of the Attitude Era to the TLC stuff all the way through to that moment when his music hit and he comes out in that kind of gorgeous open air sort of setting that Orlando provided. And they had that great match for the world title. The last match at WrestleMania 24, one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time by my estimation, ends with a classic match between Edge and Taker. And the counterfest that they put together that Edge was the brainchild for, I mean, that's just a very cool match that holds up well against any WrestleMania main event bar maybe one or two. It's that good. It also, much like Edge itself, I don't think gets its full credit. It's full due, but I think it deserves it. And Edge is one of those guys who, for a long, long time from now, I will be revisiting on an annual basis come WrestleMania season because this was a guy who I think of him on the level that I think not of Shawn Michaels or Macho Man Randy Savage, but on the level below that, you know, on the level that's in the ballpark of some of his other peers Maybe The Rock ranks up higher, maybe Bret Hart does too, but there's not a a whole heck of a lot of names that come before Edge in my list. Last but not least, before I sign off, please check out the rest of our lineup on LOP Radio. In my humble opinion, no podcast network offers better variety or more diversity in topics. On Mondays, talking about professional wrestling from the tip top companies to lesser known entities, it's Kingdom of Honor, hosted by LOP Hall of Famer Zanman. Tuesdays, the lesser known pro wrestling organizations get the full spotlight as Jeff and Ms. Fan host the Global Revolution. Available on Wednesday mornings, check out our weekly Raw and SmackDown reviews on One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. Then Wednesday afternoons, check out Samuel Plan's unique performance art take on the product with Sports Entertainment is Dead. Thursday, The Implications keeps the British flavor going with his weekly takes on the Perfect 10 Wrestling podcast. Friday, it's LOPR's longest running program, the one that has been here since day one and has kept on trucking for over a half decade and counting, The Right Side of the Pond, hosted by Plan, Maverick, and Mazza. Saturday, the brilliant podcasters that brought you WCW The Legacy Series, Shane and Ms. Fan, are now all about All Elite. Then Sunday, you can catch my show, The Doc Says, in the mornings. Thanks again for listening, and have an awesome week, LOP Radioheads. Oh, wow. This is just what the doc ordered. I'm saying welcome. They sick of the other shows. Chat here to help them. The author of the Mania Era is bringing terror on LOP Radio. This is the prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase. Like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight. He wrote a few books, and he's working on another for y'all. This a five-star podcast. Chat, let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania Era, the book.